0: Welcome back to TLDR Philosophy. I am recording from beautiful, stormy Wheaton, Illinois, in the basement with some oat milk coffee. Today we're getting into chapter 10 of the Ethics, nearing the end of book one, and Aristotle is basically talking about the idea of the complete life. So let's get started, paragraph by paragraph. Paragraph 1. Must no one at all, then, be called happy while he lives? Must we, as Solomon says, see the end? Even if we are to lay out this doctrine, is it also the case that a man is happy when he's dead? Or is this quite absurd, especially for us who say that happiness is an activity? But if we do not call the dead man happy, and if Solomon does not mean this, but that one can then safely call a man blessed as being at last, beyond evils and misfortunes, this also affords matter for discussion, for both evil and good are thought to exist for a dead man, as much as for one who is alive but not aware of them. For example, honors and dishonors and the good or bad fortunes of children and in general descendants. And this also presents a problem. For though a man has lived happily up to old age and has had a death worthy of his life, many reverses may befall his descendants. Some of them may be good and attain the life they deserve, while with others the opposite may be the case. And clearly to the the degrees of relationship between them and their ancestors may vary indefinitely. It would be odd then if the dead man were to share in these changes and become at one time happy at another wretched, while it would also be odd if the fortunes of the descendants did not for some time have some effect on the happiness of their ancestors. So this sort of strange sounding paragraph, Aristotle seems to go into the idea of like how can like descendants affect the happiness of dead ancestors, which sounds a little bit crazy to us today. But I think what he's getting at is, are there things that can affect our happiness that we aren't really in control of? Because Aristotle put out the idea of activities being the sort of cause of happiness. And here we see the idea that like a dead man can be happy, or he can sort of become unhappy based on what his children or grandchildren do. That's just like a weird idea. But I think what he's getting at is the idea of happiness as activity versus sort of Things that can change based on other people. I might be totally wrong about that. (laughs) All right, continuing on with paragraph two. But we must return to our first difficulty, for perhaps by consideration of it, our present problem might be solved. Now, if we must see the end and only then call a man happy, not as being happy, but as having been so before, surely this is a paradox that when he is happy, the attribute that belongs to him is not to be truly predicated of him, because we do not wish to call a living man happy on account of the changes that may befall him. And because we have assumed happiness to be something permanent and by no means easily changed, well, a single man may suffer many turns of fortune's wheel. For clearly, if we were to keep pace with his fortunes, we should often call the same man happy and again wretched, making the happy man out to be a chameleon, and insecurely based. Or is this keeping pace with his fortunes quite wrong? Success or failure in life does not depend on these, but human life, as we have said, needs these as mere additions, while virtuous activities, or their opposites, are what constitutes happiness or the reverse. So I think Aristotle sort of trying to resolve this paradox about happiness and whether it can change, and if so, how it's like a permanent thing. And he's saying that happiness, as he said many times, has to do with virtuous activities. And like with that, it's not based on so much fortune or like what your descendants do or other things, but it's just based off of action and virtue. So I think he's going to keep going into that in the paragraphs that follow. All right, paragraph three, the question we have now discussed confirms our definition. For no function of man has so much permanence as virtuous activities. These are thought to be more durable even than knowledge of the sciences. And of these themselves, the most valuable are more durable because those who are happy spend their life most readily and most continuously in these. For this seems to be the reason why they do not forget them. The attribute in question then will belong to the happy man, and he will be happy throughout his life for always. Or, by preference to any everything else, he will be engaged in virtuous action and contemplation, and he will bear the chances of life most nobly and altogether decorously. Not sure if I got that right. Um, if he is truly good and foursquare beyond reproach. So I think importantly in this paragraph, Aristotle is not saying that you aren't going to like experience problems or turns of fortune's wheel. But instead he's saying that virtuous activities and contemplation sort of helps you to experience this permanent, real sort of meaningful happiness throughout this thing. Because he says, let me find exactly where it says, that the attribute in question, you'll be happy throughout his life despite experiencing suffering and different problems. So I think he's saying that this is the solution to that problem. Continuing on with paragraph four. Now many events happen by chance, and events differing in importance. Small pieces of good fortune, or of its opposite, clearly do not weigh down the scales of life one way or the other. But a multitude of great events, if they turn out well, will make life happier. For not only are they themselves such as to add beauty to life, but the way a man deals with them may be noble and good. Well, if they turn out ill, they crush and maim happiness, for they bring both pain with them and hinder many activities. Yet even in these nobility true nobility shines through when a man bears with resignation many great misfortunes, not through insensibility to pain, but through nobility and greatness of soul. So here Aristotle seems to be continuing on that point and saying that sure good things in that external events can make you happy and sort of bad events can make you unhappy. But if you have this virtuous action that sort of leads to happiness, this can help you bear through it. And I think he's sort of showing that this is different than the stoic idea because he said not through insensibility to pain. So it's not just like you're ignoring it, but through nobility and greatness of soul. So something about this virtue that helps you endure as opposed to just ignoring it and just not having any emotion. (laughs) All right, so let's continue in paragraph five. If activities are, as we said, what gives life its character, no happy man can become miserable, for he will never do the acts that are hateful and mean. For the man who is truly good and wise, we think, bears all the chances life becomingly and always makes the best of circumstances, as a good general makes the best military use of the army at his command, and a good shoemaker makes the best shoes out of the hides that are given to him, and so with all other craftsmen. And if this is the case, the happy man could never become miserable, though he will not reach blessedness if he he meet with fortunes like that of Priam. So in this paragraph, he's saying that you can't be truly miserable if you're happy because The way he defines it is sort of the activities, so it's not really about the external thing, but sort of how you react and what you choose to do. Let's go on to the sixth paragraph. Nor again is he many-colored and changeable, for neither will he be moved from his happy state easily or by any ordinary misadventures, but only by many great ones. Nor, if he had many great misadventures... Will he recover his happiness in a short time, but if at all, only in a long and complete one in which he has attained many splendid successes? continue on to the final paragraph. When then should we not say that he is happy, who is active in accordance with complete virtue and is sufficiently equipped with external goods, not for some chance period, but throughout a complete life? Or must we add, and who is destined to live thus and die as befits his life? Certainly the future is obscure to us, while happiness, we claim, is an end and something in every way final. If so, we shall call happy those among living men in whom these conditions are, and are to be fulfilled, but happy men. So much for these questions. Hopefully this was a really interesting chapter. I definitely found it quite interesting what he's talking about, like, with happiness, virtue, and sort of how external events can shape that, and how... uh, a truly happy person responds. And it's sort of much different than we might think of happiness just ordinarily. When we're like, this is things that happen to you. But here Aristotle is saying that a happy person by definition, by his virtue, responds to these good and bad events in certain ways that are sort of part of why he is happy. That has to do with virtue. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, have a great rest of your day and see you in chapter 11.